Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Cast, a podcast from the canon, Espinations blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD. Uh, and again, just getting through these dog days of August here, waiting for real hockey to come back. Uh, so not too much to talk about today. Going to be a shorter episode, but we do have a few things to cover. I've got a good listener question coming up here in the back half of the episode. But first, there's a few small bits of news to cover. Uh, the first one that came out Monday from the Kalamazoo Wings, who are the ECHL affiliate of the Blue Jackets. Their head coach left to take an assistant job in the AHL, so they promoted an assistant, Joel Martin, to be their new head coach. Uh, What is notable about him is that he becomes the second black coach in the ECHL, and I just think that's really great. Um, It's cool that this league has two black coaches in at this point, you know, in a sport that, you know, has struggled greatly with diversity. This is a well-known problem. Um, So this is great progress. He becomes the seventh uh, black or indigenous or person of color head coach in men's professional hockey in North America of all time. Um, First one didn't happen until 1994. Uh, So there's still a long way to go. Uh, None of these coaches have been, at a level higher than the ECHL. Um, But this is a start. You know, we also have Mike Greer that got the GM job in San Jose. Um, We have a lot of women that have gotten jobs in front offices and in development coach roles. And now, obviously, the most important thing with hiring these positions is qualifications. Hire the best people possible. But it's nice to see that part of the qualifications does not mean having to be a white male, you know. Uh, The sport can be a more diverse sport if we just give it the opportunity and give people chances, regardless of their background, regardless of their identity. If If they know their stuff in hockey, give them a shot, you know. And ultimately, this is a results oriented sport. So, you know, if you don't win enough, you're not going to stick around. But um, but if you can, that's that's great, and it opens up more opportunities for people that look like you in the future. 
Uh, and Joel Martin, he is certainly qualified. He has a long history as a player with Kalamazoo. He was a goalie. He's high up in the record books. And as I said, he'd been an assistant coach uh, under, under his predecessor here for a while. So totally fits the mold for the kind of person who gets an ECHL job. And, you know, if you're successful at this level, then, you know, the door's open to getting jobs at higher levels. I mean, look at Jared Bednar. He won the Kelly Cup as a coach in the ECHL. Then he got a job as an AHL assistant, then got promoted to head coach, won the Calder Cup with the Monsters, then, you know, used that as a launch pad to get an NHL head coaching job, and now he's a Stanley Cup champion. So, uh, you know, it's got to start somewhere. So uh, congratulations to Coach Martin, and wish, wish the best of luck to him and the K-Wings this season. Um, you know, we don't see a ton of Jackets players play down there, but you know, for one thing, it's a nice place to center goalie prospects. I know Jet Greaves, for example, uh, got a number of starts in Kalamazoo because, you know, there's only so many games to spread around in Cleveland among the goalies. And I like then that if we're sending our goalies to Kalamazoo to get reps, that now the head coach is a former goalie himself. So uh, I think that means that our, our goalies can be in good hands there. The other little bit of news that we have to address is Kent Johnson scored a Michigan goal. <laughs> this is so great. Now I know we're, we've become basically a Kent Johnson fanboy podcast over the last six months or so, but, uh, and also one of my hills to die on here is that I don't like calling it the Michigan goal because I don't like Michigan. Also, I want to give credit to the guy who actually did the move. Mike leg was the name of the Michigan player that made this famous. So I prefer to call it the leg but I know this is a losing battle. I'm not going to win people over on this. People want to call it the Michigan. Fine. And I admit it's cool when you have a Michigan product like Kent Johnson scoring a Michigan goal. That's that's awesome. And to do it at the World Junior Championships. Uh, it was also a very, an especially skilled version of the Michigan goal because sometimes you've seen it where the player is all alone by himself behind the net, has plenty of time, you know, sort of bends down, carefully gets the puck on the the blade of a stick, and then lifts it up and does it. But no, Johnson wasn't alone behind the goal there, and he was able to just, in one smooth motion, just got the puck up off the ice, on his stick, and into the goal. It was really, really neat. And I'm so now really excited about the prospect of, could Kent Johnson pull that off in the NHL level for the Jackets? You know, we've seen it become a more common thing. You know, Trevor Zegras became known for that last season. Um, you know, if Johnson become a, can become a Zegras-type player for us, ooh, that's that's really exciting. Uh, he's been having a good tournament for Canada. Canada has just been mowing through the competition, and Johnson, he's uh, being a point-per-game player. That's his only goal so far, um, although I saw uh, something from Scott Wheeler tonight that um, you know, Johnson has been, he should have a lot more points than this. He just has had some bad puck luck, but I think it was tonight. He already had like seven shots on goal or something. So um, good to see him doing well in that competition. Uh, we had three players for Czechia in, in this event. Uh, I know that in the first game, David Juracek, uh he was player of the match for, for Czechia. He was had a real physical performance, which you love to see. Uh, Martin Rashavi. Uh, who was a seventh round pick from us last year, 
Uh, he's playing for Czechia. He's got a couple goals, so it's good to see him doing well. Um, so that's something to follow. We're entering the quarterfinal phase of, of that tournament, so uh, keeping keep an eye on the headlines for that. And after we take a quick break here, we'll get into our reader question, where we start talking about what could the lines look like this season in Columbus? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Our listener question tonight comes from longtime listener and friend of the pod, Maria DeVito. She says, is it too early to start thinking about lines? No, it is not too early. Look, what else are we going to talk about now, right? Sure. Let's talk lines. There are so many possibilities here. And it's really exciting uh, to think about all the possible combinations. And I'm sure that Brad Larson is going to try out a bunch of different looks in camp. And obviously over the course of the season, he's going to move things around. Injuries are going to happen. Some guys are going to struggle. Some guys are going to need to get moved up. So um, I think the way I want to start this is by looking at wing pairs, because obviously our, our, I think we sort of know who our four centers are going to be, but we don't know which lines they'll slot with. So let's focus on the wings first. Top line, all the speculation points to Line A and Goudreau getting to play together. Uh, you know, will that last? Will it work? I don't know. Uh, I'm certainly willing, though, to start out that way. There's our, you know, two best forwards. Put them on the line together, watch the magic happen. And, you know, Goudreau is a great playmaker. Line A is a great shooter. So Goudreau can get Line A the puck and Line A can get it in the net. And if people try to, teams try to shut down Line A, then that leaves more room for Goudreau, who can also shoot the puck well himself. So um, I'm good now with, with put, pairing those guys up. The next line. Um, you know, I know Aaron Portsline, when he had done some projections uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he had Gus Nyquist and Jake Voracek on the same line. Um, I don't know that I necessarily love that combination. 
Uh, but I could definitely see that being a combination that Brad Larson would like just because of the experience there. You know that those are two forwards that he trusts a lot. So those are guys that are going to get a lot of five-on-five minutes in addition to special teams minutes. So And I, and I could see that one working. Um, I think those two could. They know what they're doing. Uh, Gus has shown some you know pretty good two-way plays, so he can cover for, for a check in that regard, and Gus can put it on that. I mean, he's been a re- reliable, you know, 50-point pace guy for us. So um, there's no reason to think that that can't continue for one more year here at least. Um, now I'm going to jump down to the fourth line, but it might not really be a fourth line. It is, it would be our checking line. So this would be Eric Robinson and Alexander Texier with Sean Corrali at center. This is the line that will get a lot of defensive zone starts. This is the line that can be paired up against uh, top offensive lines of the opponents. This is a line that did really, really well last season, especially in November. And I'd like to see that combination in action again because I thought they worked really well together. They did their job in terms of their defensive role, but then they also showed that they could score as well, even from that deployment. And that's a really nice weapon to have in your forward depth. We know we've got guys in our top two lines that can score in bunches, but to have someone in the bottom six that can also score, uh, that's that's pretty nice. So um, that's what I like to see happen there. Now, you know, some people will talk about having Texier playing up in the lineup, and I know that, you know, even Larson had moved him up a bit after he was, you know, red hot in November. Um, but I feel like that's maybe uh, asking too much of him. You know, I th- you're assuming that, oh, well, he's scoring really well in the, this fourth line role. So let's move him up the lineup. He could can, he can do more. But I don't know that he can. I think maybe being on that checking line is the ideal situation for him where his primary responsibility is defense. So he doesn't have the pressure to score. Any scoring that he provides is just gravy. Uh, so that might be the best scenario for him. Um, now, and of course, we don't know you know, his status is still up in the air. You know, now Yarmo and his agent have both suggested that they expect that he will be back this fall. Um, so there's been no indication that he won't, but there's also hasn't been any confirmation that he will. He hasn't commented publicly himself about it. Now, certainly, you know, for his reasons for, for being in France, like, you know, he's allowed to, to keep that stuff personal. Um, but I would like to get some indication as to whether he's going to be back on the team. I hope he's back because he's a really good player. Um, I also hope that, you know, whatever the family issues were, that, you know, he's he's gotten past that and, and everything's okay there now that he can be comfortable coming back to uh, to the U.S. here and playing. Um, so anyway, so that is what I would like to see for the checking line. And then the final line is going to have some youth on it. And I like the idea of pairing young players together because this gives them a chance to develop some chemistry early, and then this can be this can be a pairing that can go on for years as part of the new core of the team, and it also allows Larson to give the line sheltered deployment. You know, um, give them mostly offensive zone starts, 
make sure they're being paired up against weaker lines of the opponent. So on this line, I would have uh, the aforementioned Kent Johnson. Uh, you know, there's talk, you know, can he play, is he a wing? Is he a center? He's been playing wing for Canada. You know, he played wing for Michigan. So, you know, maybe stick him at wing for now. Um, and Kirill Marchenko is someone who I have very high hopes for. He has experience on the international level, experience playing, you know, as an adult professional there in the KHL. So I think he can be NHL ready. Um, you know, I like his size. I like his skating. I like his shooting ability. Uh, I think he has all the tools there to be able to contribute right away. I like the idea of those two guys on a line together because I think their skills might be complementary. Because Johnson, again, is that like playmaking type of forward who could then set up Marchenko to be shooting. So if you're going with the young guy thing, then maybe you put Cole Sillinger on that line. Um, and I think that that could work really well. I also have said before, I would like to see Sillinger get to play with Line A and Goudreau because I think he could really blossom with having such great uh, wingers on his side there. Um, for, you know, the old man line, I guess we can call it. Uh, Boone Jenner seems like a natural fit for that one with Mike Wiston Voracek. Um, uh, I also wouldn't mind putting Boone with Johnson and Marchenko because, again, he could cover defensively. He could be sort of a mentor for those guys. Um, you know, and then what do you do with Jack Rosovic? Um, you know, he had success late in the season playing with Lion A, so maybe you put him on the top line. Um, I could also see him fitting really well with Nyquist and Voracek because Roslevic is such a shooting center that having a playmaking wing with him makes a lot of sense. So Voracek can set up Roslevic to be scoring as opposed to the maybe more conventional thing where you have a center setting up his wings to score. So, yeah, so I think, uh, I think those would be the initial forward combinations that I would look for. And obviously this leaves a lot of big names not on the roster. Uh, you see, you know, like Igor Chinnikov. I didn't mention him. And I like him a lot. I think he's clearly an NHLer, but just the numbers don't work out. So, you know, send him to Cleveland. Give him big minutes in Cleveland. Let him build up some confidence. Uh, hone his scoring touch. And um, and then, you know, if someone gets hurt in the top six, then he's the first guy you call to replace it. You know, so you don't have to change any other lines. You just plug him into that kind of top six role where you need a scoring winger. I think that I think that could be fine for him. Um, you know, a guy like Justin Danforth, I mean, he could he could maybe be the uh, the 13th forward. So, you know, you could afford to have him in the press box. But, you know, he's a good guy to have in the locker room, good guy to be practicing with. Um, and then, you know, on short-term notice, he can plug in anywhere. He can play wing. He can play center. You know, maybe there are certain opponents that are more physical where you decide to maybe put him in the lineup instead of one of the younger guys if you maybe feel like they aren't up to handling the physicality. Um, although I really hate to bench skill in favor of just grit. But, but you know, Danforth is, you know, showed a bit more scoring touch than I expected last year. So he's not um, he's not a total loss offensively if you put him in the lineup. Um, and then there's a lot of guys like uh, Liam Foody or Emil Bemstrom where, you know, it's hard to see where they fit long-term given who else is on the roster and 
what kind of long-term contracts we have and all that. Um, the situation reminds me a lot of the Cleveland Guardians. So I'm a big Cleveland baseball fan, have been for a long time. And coming into this season, I expected the team to be, you know, not a playoff team, but I thought that they could be fun just because I knew they would be giving a lot of young players a chance to play. And sure enough, that has happened. You know, starting the season, there have been some guys that they played last season, um, guys that they were wanting to see if things could finally click for them. Guys like Bobby Bradley, Oscar Mercado, Yu Chang, Bradley Zimmer. But as it turns out, at the start of the season here, they had a very short leash with those guys, and now they're all gone. And instead, they've called up guys, uh, you know, from Columbus and give, have given them their shots. They've had at this point now fourteen. Rookies have made their MLB debut this year for Cleveland. And a lot of these guys have done really well with the opportunity. Stephen Kwan's a guy who was, you know, a later round pick, undersized player, um, you know, not considered a great prospect a few years ago, but he just kept hitting in the minors. And, you know, so much so that they couldn't ignore him. So, you know, last season he got bumped up from Akron to Columbus, was hitting really well in Columbus came into spring training this year, was hitting the ball so well that they couldn't not put him on, on the roster for opening day, put him in the lineup. And again, he immediately kept hitting. He didn't strike out. Like literally, like not until the sixth game did he have a swing and miss. Like he's really, really great hitter. Um, not a ton of power, but just puts contact on it. Very patient hitter. Anyway, I don't want to get too into baseball talk here. Suffice to say, a young player seizing the opportunity, playing really well, helping the team out. He's a leadoff hitter now. Gets on base, sets it up for guys after him to get RBIs. So that's kind of what I want to see the Jackets do as well. Realize that the guy like Bemstrom, they've waited long enough and he hasn't he hasn't reached his potential. So maybe you know you give up hope that he will hit that. But at the same time, what you by not giving him the chance, you need to give that opportunity to someone who now does have more upside. And that's where Marchenko comes in. That's where Johnson comes in. Um, and there's still some guys, you know, last year that we didn't get as much of a look like the Tyler Angle, you know? Like, all right, give these guys a shot. And, and also, when you call them up, actually do play them. You know, I, I wrote last week about Trey Fix Wolanski, and... He played six games, and I think he only had over 10 minutes in one of them. Like, that's not enough. For a guy like that, like, he needs to play. He needs to play a lot of shifts. Because um, what do you have to lose, right? Especially last year, no one was expecting playoffs. So the wins and losses don't really matter as much as just giving guys a chance to play, right? Um, and, of course, in with Cleveland, I think they had the same approach. Like, they weren't as worried about how much they are going to win. They just wanted to see what they had with all these players. But with enough guys playing well, now Cleveland's in first place in their division. So, um, you know, the best case scenario is that the young Jackets players play so well that they get more minutes and that it translates into wins and then the team gets in a playoff position. But even if they don't achieve that, if some guys struggle, then that gives you answers as well. So those are names that you can cross off your list. You can trade them away or whatever. 
um, and then move on to uh, the next guy on the list. And we have a deeper prospect pipeline, so we have that ability to try out a lot of different players to find which ones work out, which ones can be part of the team going forward. So that's something to keep an eye on as we get into camp next month. Um, I'll be looking forward to the Traverse City tournament in mid-September. We'll see who makes an impression there because last year, Igor Chinnikov and Cole Sillinger were stars of that tournament. And, you know, they brought that momentum into training camp and made the roster and were contributors all season. So we'll see if someone uh, can make a similar impact this year. So thanks for the question, Maria. We really appreciate it. Uh, and again, follow us at CBJ Cannon on Twitter. Sometimes I will put out a call on Mondays for questions. So you can feel free to reply to that in the future. And I will answer a question on a future episode. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. And again, stay tuned. We, you know, I don't know that we'll be on a regular schedule yet until we get closer to the season. And then we'll be back on our, our usual weekly schedule. But we uh, appreciate the support as always. Have a good one. We'll catch you next time. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Cannon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to angelapurley.com for more music and show dates.